You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Simpsonville teaching pastor, Jason Thompson. We are going to be in Luke 7 this morning. Much more encouraging message, hopefully, hopefully. Uh, but hopefully you'll, you'll still hear something that you haven't heard before. Uh, but Luke chapter 7, um, we're going to look at verses 11 through 17. And I'm going to be reading from the NIV. So if you have the Bible app, you can turn there and you can follow along with the exact wording. Or you can just listen very carefully to me. But as we read this, um, I want you to pay attention to every detail. There's just, there's so much going on here. I think I find it a very interesting story. This is my second favorite resurrection story of all time, all right? Jesus still gets number one, right? right? But this is the one of this one with the widow's son is just so beautiful and so powerful. And I have a lot to share about this. So let's, let's look at verse 11 now. It says this. Soon afterward, and this is just soon after he had healed the servant of the centurion. And so, a remarkable faith story. But he says, soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples in a large crowd went along with them. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier that they were carrying him on, and the bearer stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Now, just a little insight into my prayer life. I don't don't pray a lot of selfish prayers. Um, When I pray, I I talk to God a lot, and then I, I try to thank God a lot, and then I pray for other people. But there are two times where uh, I do pray selfish prayers. I'll just be perfectly transparent with you. One is when I am really sick. And like a lot of guys, uh, I do not handle that very well, okay? So if it's the flu or I have a migraine, I'm feeling nauseous, my prayers kind of go like this. They're like, God, please, please heal me or just kill me now. Like that, that's pretty much like, just take me home to Jesus. Just, I, I want heaven. I mean, I, I wish I was joking. My wife gets very frustrated with me how easily I, I give up on this life. Like, and she's like, well, do you not love me and the kids? I do, but heaven seems awesome and sitting over this toilet puking does not, all right? So take me home, Jesus, all right? And so that's one, all right? The other one that I pray, and I know it's, it's selfish and you know, I'm, I'm like kind of want control and it is I pray that I get to die before my kids. I I pray for their health and well-being. I don't want to see them hurt. I don't want to see, I don't want to see them die. And I know, and I, and I feel like I do with most of my life, I keep my hands like, like this. He gives, and I, I let him take whatever he wants back. And I feel like that's what Christians are supposed to do. We're stewards of whatever he gives us, including our children, and he gives, and we're supposed to have open hands. But when it comes to my kids, I, I sometimes feel like my hands are like a little bit like, here you go, God. Wait, wait, you're not serious about t- t- taking that, right? Like, I, I want to hold on to that. 
And I, I pray through that, I pray through that, and I think it's, it's natural because, because it is not lost on me, even though I have not personally experienced it, it's not lost on me, that I think that that's one of the most difficult experience someone can, can go through. And I know this because I've, I've seen how it has affected people. And in fact, I've seen it on, firsthand from my own life group. There are two different families in my little life group that have experienced the loss of a child. My next door neighbors, Brad and Nikki, they lost their precious little girl at nine years old, Kendall. She was born with a heart condition and that little girl, that just sweet, angelic little girl fought for years, but at age nine she succumbed to her heart complications. And that happened 12 years ago tomorrow. And if you know anything about Brad and Nikki, you know that there has not been a single day that has gone by where they don't think about their precious little girl. You go over to their house, you'll see pictures. Christmas time, you'll see a stocking for her. I asked to borrow Brad's truck to get some stuff from Home Depot because I don't have a truck. And uh, I borrowed it. And when I got in there and start, started driving it, there, there's her like little old school picture just right on his dashboard, a constant reminder. And they wouldn't trade those years for the world. But also, that is a pain that you just don't get over completely. The other family in the life group that has experienced that is my wife's family. Her brother, her only sibling, passed away about eight years ago at the end of this month, both this month. And he was 23 years old and had a brain aneurysm and died. Completely healthy, no indication at all. One day, healthy, next day, gone. And his birthday is in April, and so I, I know that April is just going to be a tough month because of, of remembering and just what could have been. And so much potential, like he was just a brilliant young man. And it is the most natural thing in the world to lose someone young and ask, why? Why, God? Why didn't you protect me from this experience? And I'd have to be a complete fool to speak for God on why that would be. There are lots of different possibilities and God has this infinite perspective and our perspective is so limited. So there's no telling exactly why God allows certain things and doesn't allow certain things where he comes in and swoops in and protects at times and at times doesn't. But from scripture, we can see some key principles. And one principle is that we live in a fallen and broken world. That's not the way God intended it. He created a perfect paradise. But our sin cursed this world, cursed our bodies and cursed this world. And so the natural consequences of that are sin and death and decay. Those things are going to happen. And thank God that there is suffering and that there is death and decay as a result of our sin. Because if we went through this life and it was easy and comfortable and we all lived to a ripe old age, we would not look to a savior. And then we would spend eternity separated from a holy God because of our sin. 
And God knows that the more pain and suffering there is, the more people recognize this is not the way it's supposed to be. There's got to be something more to this. And they'll look to the only cure, the only cure, the only person who is able to conquer sin and death and end it for all eternity. We also know from Scripture that the more a society pushes away from God, rejects God, rebels against God, the more God acquiesces, gives them their own desires, leaves them to their own desires, and pulls back his protection. And it goes even worse for those societies. He's so clear with Israel. These are the ways I will bless you. I mean, I I really, everyone should read Deuteronomy chapter 28 like every few months. Like if just read that passage, at the beginning of the passage, he goes through all the many blessings that he will give to the people that call him their God and serve him wholeheartedly. And then he breaks down in detail every bad thing that will happen when a society turns from God. And it's not only bad people that experience bad consequences of sin in the world. Those, that permeates a whole society and bad things happen to people that are trying to do the right thing. I mean, the Bible is very clear of all kinds of persecution for believers because the world hates us. And also we experience the same kind of consequences over all of sin of this death and all these things. So while all those things are true from scripture, we also know from scripture that God loves us. And we can't doubt his love because in our rebellion, in our sinful states of constant rejection of God, God says, no, I'm not gonna let it end this way. And he sent his son anyway. We didn't deserve that, but he sent his son anyway into the world to fix it. And his son modeled exactly how we're supposed to communicate and have a relationship with God and how we're supposed to live this life. And he lived it completely sinless. And ultimately, he died on the cross for our sins, to pay the penalty for our sins so we don't have to pay that consequence, which is death. He paid the death for us in our place. So instead of the death that we deserve, we get his righteousness, which we don't deserve. How beautiful is that? And I had, uh, I had two different people ask me an interesting question this week. And it was like, okay, I get it. The wages of sin of death, and Jesus had to die for our sins. But man, why did he have to die such a brutal, painful death? Why did the father look to his son and allow him to experience mocking, beating, whipping, crown of thorns, and then this horrible crucifixion. Why? And the answer, the simple answer is because it was best. It was the best plan. It was the best because the more pain and suffering that Jesus experienced in that time period, the more the glory. If he died a quick, painless death, not nearly as much glory. 
but because he was willing to endure so much for that 24-hour period, he had an eternity of glory that was greater. And the same is true for us. The more pain and suffering we experience in this life, when we are still willing to turn to Jesus and say, I love you and I trust you, the more glory for eternity that we'll experience. He promises us this. The other aspect of why I believe that God allowed this plan to unfold the way it did was because he knew, Jesus knew, that there would be millions of martyrs after him. People that would experience gruesome and torturous deaths. And he knew that everyone that went through that could look to the cross and experience comfort. Do you understand that all your pain and suffering is made easier because of the cross? We have hope. We know that Jesus experienced the same thing. God understands our pain because he experienced it himself. And so it was the best plan. And so we know because of the way he treated his own son that sometimes pain and suffering is what's best. And he's asking us to trust him. And so here you have Jesus just showing God's love. It's a beautiful representation. And again, though, I, I, I get this question a lot. Like, okay, I know. In my pain and suffering, it's, it, it's hard to feel like God cares. It's hard to feel like God loves me. But I look to Jesus, and I kind of see it. But then I look to the Old Testament, and I don't see it as clearly. Like, there, God seems really angry, all right? It seems like he's, he's very harsh. Like, how is Jesus and God so different? And I just, I just want to scream, he's not, he's not. God is unchanging. And I want to give you just a little bit of insight. So like, I've explained this in the apologetics class, but I want to do it, I want to do it right now just for a second, all right? I want you to think about the New Testament. 27 books, largely covering a 70-year period, approximately. One generation, right? One generation of existence. And it just happens to be the most wonderful generation of all time, the most wonderful period on earth because this is the time where God himself comes to the earth and is just offering blessings, healings, salvation, the good news of the gospel. I mean, he's healing the lame, all right? He's making the blind see. He's casting out demons. He's bringing the good news of the gospel. He's showing us how things are supposed to be. And then ultimately, he dies for us comes back to life, the, the best news ever in the world, and then the church is launched, and you see the Holy Spirit given to the people, and there's all these miracles happening, and there's an explosion of the church world of, of growth, thousands of people instantly coming to Jesus, coming to be the church. It is one of the most beautiful times in all of history. And then you look at the Old Testament, all right, 39 books which is largely the history of the Jewish people. And it covers thousands of years. Now, I know it's probably been a long time for some of you, all right? But I want you to think back to your history classes, okay? Think of American history. That's an easy one, right? Now, we only have about 300 years of American history, but what did you learn in history class? Well, you start with the settlers and their struggle with the Indians and trying to survive. And then the struggle with the British government and the Revolutionary War. Then the War of 1812. 
Then you learn about slavery and the slave trade leading up to the Silver War, the Civil War. And then afterwards, you have Reconstruction and you have all the drama of Jim Crow laws and segregation. Then you have World War I, then the Great Depression, then World War II. Do you see where I'm going with this? All right, what do you learn in history class? You learn about all the bad things that happened in this world and the major developments and what we can learn from those mistakes. You don't cover the times of peace and prosperity. So the Old Testament is covering all the times that Israel rebelled against God, experienced great oppression, went into captivity or destruction and pain and suffering, and then finally pleaded out for God to rescue them, and then he swoops in and rescues them. That's the story that you get to the Old Testament. Now, I would like to think that if you hung out with me outside of church, that you would think, most of you, he's a pretty stand-up guy, all right? Like, he's pretty easy to talk to. He's a pretty nice guy. But if you only hung out with me when my kids were being defiantly disrespectful and disobedient, <laughs> you would walk away going, man, Jason has anger issues, all right? <laughs> he's like, he's a little bit unhinged. I want you to think about the times where your kids were defiantly disobedient and disrespectful, or they were doing something dangerous and stupid, like running out into the middle of the street and with oncoming traffic. How did you respond? Hey, Johnny, come on back here, little buddy. No, get out of the road, what's wrong with you? Like, yes, not because you, don't, you are full of hate. No, you love that kid. And it's out of your, your care for them that you are very aggressive and trying to point them in a different direction. All right, redirection. God is seeing these people go towards their own destruction. He's given them the way, the path, the truth, the life, and they're going, no, nope, I'm not interested in that. I'm gonna step in front of this car over and over again. And he's telling them, stop doing that. And so he comes across as a little angry. But when I read all of the Old Testament, if you read it all and you just don't pick, you know, nitpick little passages and pull them out of context, I can't believe how patient God is. Like over and over again, are you kidding me? I would have wiped them out and started over a long time ago. <laughs> like what is going on? And so that, Jesus said, I only do what my father tells me to do. And he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. They are of one mind, okay? They're completely on the same page. And Jesus was right there in the Old Testament going, yep, yep, yep. And he was actively doing all the things. And just like in the New Testament, that is God the Father saying, mm, yes, and my son, who I am well pleased, doing all these things. And so when you get to the New Testament, you get to see God's true heart, God in the flesh, this is how I want to be. This is what God is saying. So let's look. Let's look at what he, how he presents himself. Look at this story. He is walking through a new city. He is watching a funeral procession come out of the gates. They are taking a dead body outside of the city to bury it. And in this funeral procession, there is a poor widowed woman that's going to have to bury her only son, her hope, her life, her joy. And Jesus looks at this 
and goes, no, not today, not on my watch. He can't stand the sight of her pain. And his immediate reaction is to go and fix it. And most times when you see a healing, there is somebody coming to Jesus, the blind man calling out, the woman with the bleeding disorder grabbing his hem, people coming to him and saying, please, will you heal me? And at times he asks for a show of faith. In this situation, with this particular problem, not one of those. He goes to her, doesn't ask for a single thing, says, stop, stop, I can't see this. My heart is breaking. And he says, young man, stand up. In every town he went to, this was his reaction. Morning to night, just healing people. They brought him the lame, he made them walk. Brought them the blind, he made them see. If you were infirm, you left healthy. And it wasn't just physical problems that he was healing, he was healing hearts left and right. Because he has come, everywhere he went, there was healing and there was heart change. Because he took all the people that people spit on and were outcasts that had sin problems and other issues that they didn't have any respect for, and he showed them love and respect. He got down on their level and said, I love you and I want you. And, he didn't, and, they, and their response to him wasn't, oh great, you wanna hang out with us just the way we are. No, they were like, I can't believe you are willing, a holy man of God, to show me love and respect this way. I want what you have, I will follow you wherever you go. And they turned around and there was extreme life change. He is the visible, tangible representation of God the Father. God loves us and he wants to heal the hurting. If you want to understand his love on an even deeper level, I have a great book for you. It's called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, And it's just, it's beautiful how it reveals the heart of God. And it makes a very interesting point. There's only one passage in scripture where Jesus talks about his heart, his own heart. Um, his character is revealed many times, but in, the passage is in Matthew 11. You don't have to turn there, you can just listen. But it's well familiar to you, but there's only one time where Jesus talks about his heart. And he says this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what is Jesus' heart like? It is gentle and lowly. It is gentle and humble. So you can take your problems, you can take your issues, you can take your why questions, you can take your heartaches and you can come to him and he will not respond to you with anger. He will not respond with, to you with rejection. He will respond to you with gentleness 
and humility in how the God of the universe who spoke everything to his existence can be humble, I will never understand. But I know that my God is not a liar. And he says, my heart is gentle and humble. And through Jesus, you see it over and over and over again. So if you have heartache, if you are broken, if you think you have messed up too far to be loved by God, then you've got it all wrong. That's the whole message of the gospel is it doesn't matter how broken that you are, as long as you have a breath, then it can still be made right because there's nothing our God cannot do. He is looking to heal you. And he will get down on your level and he will love you where you are, but he will not keep you where you are. He will take you to the next destination. He will take you towards righteousness. You will be made more and more like Christ the more you follow him. And that's what he's talking about. He's, you will have to put on his yoke. You will have to be led by him. If you're not willing to be led by him, you are not fit to be a follower of him. But if you are willing to be led by him, that yoke is so light you won't even feel it. But it'll be guiding you and nudging you along the way to the right path, the path of righteousness. And he will take you to a place where he will take your hurt and your brokenness and he will use it for his glory and yours. He will turn it around and make it a testimony that makes a difference in this world. That is our God and that is what we need to be projecting to the world. He is a loving, loving savior. And if you are here this morning and you are a seeker and you have never taken that step of saying, man, I didn't realize how good God was and how much he loved me and you have never given your life to him, then I encourage you, please make it today. I'm telling you, he is a God that you can trust. I know there are a million questions, but there are a million answers and he has them all. And if you will diligently seek them, if you will knock, he will open. And he is right now knocking on your heart. So I encourage you, open that door and give your life. It's easy. All you have to do is believe that he really is the son of God, that Jesus really is the son of God, that he died for you. And you just say, I give you my life. And if you mean those words, then your eternal destination is secure and you are made right and all your sins have been paid for. So I want to challenge you, do not leave here today without talking to someone and saying that prayer because it will change your life. Will you close in a word of prayer with me? Lord, thank you so much for being a God that listens and that cares and is willing to stoop to our level. Thank you for being a God that loves us enough to die on the cross for our sins. Help us never to lose sight of that. And when we have questions, I pray that we will be bold enough and courageous enough to bring those questions to you and lay them at your feet and to trust you and be guided by you. Help us to remember that your yoke is so much easier to bear than the world's yoke, which is slavery, slave to sin, shackles, that lead to a horrible life of pain and suffering. And you want to eliminate that and make all things new. Help us to trust you and help us to be a church that is so excited about this good news that we share it with everyone. We can't stop talking about it. We won't shut up about it. And we'll be bold with our gospel witness. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.
If you need prayer for anything, especially if you prayed a prayer of salvation, please come forward with our prayer team. Uh, Church, we love you, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.